Hello and welcome to Akika Pasa, Gibraltar's Straight Talking Politics Podcast. I'm Jeremy Sacramento. And I'm Jonathan Jurado. Before introducing this episode's guest and topic, I want to quickly apologize to our listeners for the poor sound quality we experienced uh, in our previous episode with Elliot Phillips. And I hope that despite this, you were all able to enjoy it. Now, this week we're looking at life post-COVID-19. And almost since the onset of the, of the epidemic, really, questions on the economic consequences of the measures introduced to stop the spread, like the lockdown and travel bans, have been raised. Just how deep will the crisis be? And what will that mean for life post-COVID is very quickly becoming the major concern across the globe. Some, like our guest today, have sought to temper these concerns with a comparatively upbeat forecast, whereas others have deep reservations about the sort of uh, future in the short and medium term we're going to have. So to discuss this with better sound quality, I hope, we're joined by Mike Nichols, CEO of Chesterton's Gibraltar, whose finance background and property expertise will help elucidate on the economic challenges we will face in Gibraltar. I'm going to get things uh, started. Just uh, an intro or an an easier general question to to ooze into. What do you think is the the biggest change uh, that society and Gibraltar or even globally will will encounter post-COVID? Well, I certainly think the working from home is here to stay because I think we've all proven, most certainly in Gibraltar, that whether in the private sector or the public sector, we can work from home, we can work remotely, we're doing this remotely, the public sector counters are working predominantly remotely, and people have got used to having their offices set up at home, even banking and legal. So in terms of how life will be different afterwards, certainly the the remote home working is here to stay. Um, Obviously, it doesn't affect the retail and restaurants where their life is going to be more challenging. With regards to the 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 measures, the restrictions that the government have put in place, um, I think it's now almost five weeks, I think end of March, and now they say maybe 1st of May we'll see some relaxation. So you said that uh, working from home is here to stay. Do you think some of the social distancing, you know, stay two meters apart, that type of thing, do you think that's maybe not here to stay eternally, but next year, two years, do you think that's going to be a thing? Well, I think it has to be a thing until there's a vaccine or until we know that this herd immunity works. At the moment, there's no proof that herd immunity works, may not work. A vaccine is months away, possibly a year. So this this so-called second wave, if we all let out too quickly, is a real danger. So yes, I think social distancing, the two-meter rule, the lack of public events, more than 10 people, all of these issues are probably going to stay for a few months. So there is going to be a new norm. And in terms of what this new norm means for the economy and particular sectors in Gibraltar specifically, um, what do you make of that? I mean, you in your in an article that was published recently in the Gibraltar Chronicle, you were pretty upbeat as to the ramifications on the or or the depth of the ramifications on the property market i mean do you do you remain given the time that's elapsed since in that kind of more optimistic uh, mindset 
Well, Gibraltar is unique because we have, at the moment, about 28,000 jobs and nearly half of those are fulfilled by people living in Spain. So if you look at what unemployment could happen, and again, I think retail and restaurant will perhaps be worst hit, certainly in the short term, most, not all, of those fall upon residents of Spain, be it Spanish nationals, English nationals or Gibraltarians. So we're quite cushioned here in Jib because most Gibraltarians, most people living in, in Gibraltar, most, not all, that their jobs will remain. And the fact is we may re rely on imported labour less. So, as I say, if you, know, if you go to Spain or UK or any other you know, nation, they're not relying on 45% of their workforce coming in. Every job lost is a job lost of a resident. Here, every job lost isn't a job lost from a Gibraltar resident. So we're different. And it's unfortunate, but in a way, Gibraltar's lucky that we have that structure at the moment. So, so I think the downside is to an extent cushioned by that fact that Spain or the Spanish residents will, will suffer more. And just staying on the on the property market question, and this is more personal curiosity, I mean, what do you think the consequences will be on the prices? Um, I mean, Gibraltar has experienced over the last God knows how many years an important boom in, in uh, property prices. Do you think this will be impacted? And if so, how sort of deep might that be? How significant a cut in property value might might we be expecting? Well, it depends if this is a pause or something more permanent. But there's pent up demand in the property market, both in the local market and in the open sector prior to this lockdown. The economy was good. Jobs were going up. The, the so-called Boris bounce had an impact definitely in the UK and most likely here as well. And it's quite sad, but in my business, March was our best month for months and months and months. So w we were in a good position. Now, my my theory is that we're going to introduce a Spanish tax agreement now because that's still not being implemented or ratified, but it will be in due course, one assumes. And what that does is encourage Gibraltar employees to live in Gibraltar as opposed to Spain. And even as recently as November, one of the gaming companies was discouraging or even preventing its staff from working from home if they lived in Spain because they feared that their company could be classed as Spanish tax resident under the new Gibraltar-Spain tax treaty. So if, if there is a more push towards or a push towards home working, if the Spanish Gibraltar tax treaty is ratified, then that homeworking is going to be predominantly has to be in Gibraltar. So although the Spanish tax treaty has nothing to do with the lockdown and this flexible homeworking, these two things, these two factors collide. And I think there will still be good demand for being in Gibraltar once we are out of lockdown. All those who have tried to cross the border every day, you know, it's a pain. We've still got Brexit to contend with and the border could be a pain. So there, 
virtually every bad thing, you know, this this lockdown and and Brexit and arguably the Spanish tax treaty or not depends how you feel. But all, all these factors are pushing people to live in Gibraltar, not Spain. And of the fourteen thousand or so frontier workers, half are Spanish, but they they probably won't move in. But you've got seven thousand British or Gibraltarian or foreign nationals who may reconsider living in Gibraltar as opposed to Spain after this for the variety of reasons. And we've got less than a thousand properties under construction. So, you know, that demand supply imbalance, which could cause prices to fall, isn't as isn't as large or as significant as it is in Spain or the UK or others. So again, I think the downside is is cushioned somewhat, and I think there's going to be new reasons for demand post this lockdown. So I don't see a huge a huge impact as long as we are going to dribble back to the new norm over the next few few weeks, two, three months. On that note, uh, one of the assumptions on that question is that the businesses or, or the level of business that's in Gibraltar can sustain itself post-COVID-19 lockdown. So the people, the 7,000 foreign nationals who would cross would still have their job and would still come into Gibraltar. Do you see us getting back to the, the, the February level of business or, or perhaps somewhat optimistic that call? Well, I think it's optimistic to say all 7,000 will be coming over the border post-lockdown because I think of, of those, of those many may be in retail and restaurants, which I think will, and tourism, which will suffer the most in the short term in the hospitality trade. So that 7,000 you know, could go down, 6,000, 5,000, a lower number, don't know. But those, although those businesses are then not so viable in Gibraltar, the unemployment falls upon Spain, doesn't fall upon Gibraltar. So that downside is is cushioned. With regards to Gibraltar uh, more locally, what the government of Gibraltar would do, uh, we've seen that the government of Gibraltar has their own account to put in their COVID-related expenses. What do you think the the you know the business attitude or the or the taxation scheme should be post you know not post COVID because obviously it's a gradual unlocking of the restrictions, but eventually to get Gibraltar PLC back on board, what is the balance that they have to strike? Is it more tax so I can recuperate my COVID expenses? Is it less tax to stimulate the economy? What do you think is most effective with regards to the government strategy? I think it's really really difficult. I think that they will want to ensure people still have money to spend because without expenditure then many many businesses will suffer um, now is the time for environmental taxes because one benefit of lockdown is that i think we've all agreed that having less cars on the road and having cleaner air to breathe we've, we've all benefited from that we've all noted it and i think we're all um desirous of of, of this sort of future if it can happen so now is the time for environmental taxes. So a car tax, Gibraltar abandoned a car tax in 2007, I believe. And um, now's the time for a car tax. We have 18,000 cars on the road, 2,500 commercial vehicles, and I think 10,000, 12,000 motorbikes or mopeds. Well, that's an extortionate number. More, 
per, per mile of the road than anywhere in Europe, more per capita than virtually anywhere else. So as much as it's uncomfortable, and it is for me as well as everybody else, we're going to have to lose this love of the car. If we introduce a car tax, one, it's environmentally friendly because it discourages the use of the car. It can be tailored to phase out the old diesel-emitting large engines. It's socially acceptable because it will, the, the tax will fall upon those who can afford to pay it more. So the, the large three-litre four-by-four cars costing tens of thousands of pounds, well, they'll have to pay more. So, so I think society will accept a car tax quite readily and quite harshly because we all know that we've got to contribute towards the government deficit that this has caused and we're all desirous of less less pollution. So there's there's one idea and in my calculation you, you could quite easily get four million a year from that which we don't have at the moment. Um, we subsidise electricity here in Gibraltar. Well perhaps it's time to remove the subsidy. Again, it falls upon those who use the most electricity, so it should be socially acceptable. It discourages use of power. It, it will discourage people just leaving the air conditioning on just because they can. Um, and so we have to remove that. I don't think we should touch personal expenditure too much I don't, or, or personal income tax. I don't think we should raise it on higher, um, higher earning people because... You know, we do encourage people to come to Gibraltar, the wealthier or the more entrepreneurial people to come here because of our low tax regime. And we need those investors, those entrepreneurs, those businesses to come here. So, so I don't think we should touch that too much. And if you look at the other European countries, they're going to have to put taxes up. So if, if we can differentiate more, we'll probably encourage more business and individuals to come here. So then where does the money come from? So it has to come from somewhere. The other area worth looking at is corporation tax. Now, I've got a business, but you know we've all got a share in paying for this. But I think in the last tax year, something like 160 million was raised from our 10% tax. So you could raise it two or three percent, say for two years, and only profitable companies pay that tax. So if restaurants and retail are struggling, well, they're not going to be generating profits. They wouldn't pay it. But some companies are doing well. Um, so they can take some of the burden. So I would have a short-term COVID tax on corporation tax for a couple of years to, to generate money. I'd only make it two years, so it wasn't the reason for companies to leave. And then you'll look out where else you can make money. We, in, in JIB, we have a retirement age of uh, 60 for ladies and 65 for men. Well, Again, it's got to be socially acceptable, as is virtually in the rest of the world, that we equate males and females in retirement age. We're meant to be all about equality, and the days of a different retirement age should have gone. So it's now time to bring the 60 to the 65. If you look at Germany, Spain, UK, they're all heading towards 68. So, you know, the money might not be there for us to live this privileged life, and again, we may have to work for a few more years and save save some monies there. So I think I think you can go around the government finances and introduce environmental taxes, um, make people work for longer. And then, as I say, I, I would probably tax profitable businesses as the way to get a short term boost.
in the government revenue. Yeah, I'm going to return quickly to the environment aspect that you were mentioning earlier. Um, and property and property development has long been in, in many people's crosshairs as to whether, you know, not only the environmental degradation, which, you know, is an important one, but also simply the the, the rate of urbanization and, and just how limited we are in space and, you know, the impact on quality of life. Now, there is a balance that needs to be met. Um, and in the post-COVID world, the post-Brexit world, where do you see property development specifically? Okay, well, I've, I've been in Gibraltar 20 years and the, the construction of new property has always been demand-led. So the, the um, economy is firing on all cylinders. It adds a number of jobs to every year, say 500 to 1,000. And then those people who um, take those jobs, they've got to live somewhere because we've been at full employment in Jib for the last few years. So every new job, in essence, is an imported job. So we bring that person in to work here, and they either live in Spain or here. And say half the people choose to live here. We're building these properties for real people doing real jobs. Now, if, if the objective is to grow the economy, and every government since I've been here, that's their objective, to grow the economy, because we we all become wealthier as a result, then you can't do that without without people. And if you've got people, they need to live somewhere. And Malta is a real threat to Gibraltar, always has been and probably always will be. We've got to make sure that employees of gaming companies, insurance companies, funds, finance, whatever, they've got to be able to live somewhere near to their employment. And that can't be too expensive. Otherwise, we're going to lose companies to Malta and other jurisdictions. So, so this building is happening to house the people who are working in the economy, which is generating the wealth, which is why we can afford Commonwealth Park and free buses and Gibraltar Music Festival and new schools. So it's one big cycle. If you want to cut out building properties, then you won't grow. You, you can't bring more people in to do the jobs. So the growth in the economy will stagnate and you won't have all these things. So it's a choice, but you can't have a growth in the economy without more people um, unless you get more efficient which is the other objective but that's not going to happen overnight so it's for as long as we're growing the economy we have to find uh, places for people to live on on that note on the efficiency note anyways the last little bit i I've, we've heard recently or we've heard for the last three years uh, minister bosano say that the Gibraltar public sector has to become more efficient and it's not perhaps only exclusive to the public sector. Some private companies may also, uh, you know, produce more in terms of a unit of output per employee as well. But in terms of doing that for the for the public sector, more recently, over the last couple of days, we've seen Darren Gregg, the chief secretary, say that the public sector will now be doing more for less. So do you think that efficiency trend or, you know, initiative is finally coming to the fore are we actually increasing the efficiency of employees in gibraltar well i think in this respect sir joe is absolutely right if for every and i think he said this on on tv the other night if all we're doing is adding new people to earn the same amount of money there's no point adding new people because it's it's a strain on our public services so the objective has to be instead of five people i think he used this example five people earning 
£10 for the economy is a real point six people earning 12. What we want to do is five people earning 12. So five people earn £12. So the businesses we want to attract in the future, we want them to be higher value. So they require less people. We want the the private sector and public sector to be able to produce more without an increase in resource, which is where the productivity and efficiency claims come along. So it's absolutely right that that must be our target because we will run out of space in Gibraltar one day. And therefore, the day we do, we must be having the higher value businesses here and the most efficient processes imaginable. So instead of spending half a day in the queue for the MOT um, licensing building, or instead of going to queue up so that you can get your water switched on, for example, we don't do those because that doesn't produce any money. That, that, does, that does nothing. And what we've proven in the last few weeks not sure why I picked on those two, it's a bit unfair, but anyway, I did. Um, what we've proven is that you don't need to go and queue up at the utility companies to have water switched on. We, we've had a number of new lettings and what have you as people have tried to move in from Spain, and it's all been done remotely. So what, we, what we've done, and everything that's been spoken in the last few days about the public sector has been right, they, they've certainly stepped up, they've certainly accelerated their ability to work remotely and online, and we must never go back because this is a new future. Instead of one of my staff spending half their week walking up and down to town range of the utility companies, that member of staff could be doing something more productive. And that creates the greater wealth for the economy. So efficiency and productivity is absolutely the right objective. Because then you'll have to build less for the number of people. So, taking into account that the government is clearly taking the right steps, Gibraltar post-COVID-19, maybe even post-Brexit, whenever that comes in the next few months. Does it stand in good stead to face the challenges of that new world that emerges? Well, I think it will. I think it will be different to the one we're used to. I think we're all going to have to accept change and some discomfort in terms of you know, what we pay and how life changes. But one, we're small, agile, fleet of foot. So we can introduce laws you know, within 24 hours we can move with the times far quicker than than the other countries. Um, two, we've just proven that many of our businesses, you know, it's only really that retail, well, even retail can be online, but only tourism and say restaurants are struggling online. Once sports are back, and that's the trouble for the gaming companies, they, they need the sports to be able to bet on, but all of those are remote and online. So if you look at, say, the percentage of people in the UK that could conceivably work from home and the percentage of people in Jib who could conceivably work from home, I bet you it's it's a lot higher in in Jib than the UK. And if you compare with you know, less advanced economies in the UK, the ability to work online remotely at home, higher value, we've got that. We can attract that. So I th I think that that's coupled with my first argument that nearly half our labour force are imported. So the ones that we lose, sadly, may fall upon Spain more than here. I think we've got the the right foundations, the bases to, to minimise the hassle and the financial cost and the change of life which will follow. There will be hassle, there will be change of life, there will be a cost. But I don't foresee it being as bad as in percentage terms as other developed nations around Europe. In many respects, we're, we're cushioned here, some from luck, some from judgment. 
So I would still think Jib's the best place to be in Europe right now. Well, there we have it, Mike. That's um, a reassuring outlook for all of us dealing with the rather bizarre times that we live in, in lockdown and the uncertainty of whether or not we will be contracting this hideous virus. So a little bit of some upbeat news and I think um, hopefully a harbinger for what's to come. And thank you to our listeners. Thank you, Mike, for coming on and giving us this perspective. And we'll be back next week with uh, another guest. Okay, thanks very much, guys.